You're listening to Little Green Cheese, episode 69. Welcome back, curd nerds. I'm Gavin Weber, and this podcast is where you can learn about cheese making at home. Some interesting cheesy things have been going on here. I've been formulating my list for cheeses that I'm going to be making over the next couple of months. Now, it's pretty hard to... I won't say it's hard. All right, it's, let me get this straight. This, The way that my YouTube channel is structured... I normally do a uh, a cheese, a couple of cheese making full tu- fu- full tutorial twice a month. So basically, do two two tu- cheese making tutorials twice a month, and then I'll have either taste tests or techniques or that sort of video. And that's that's the style I've been running it at. What I do want to do is actually ramp it up a little bit. Still do the two. Uh, cheese making tutorials on a monthly basis but I want to add in some more content as far as uh, not only taste testing but little hints and tips that probably would only run for be lucky for two or three minutes to um, help people out because sure they've got the podcast but people learn things in different ways so some people learn via um, audio or auditory um, and other people are visual and need to see how things are made and they can understand it that way. I'm actually quite visual personally. So I learn better from seeing either somebody draw a diagram or somebody show me in a video uh, on how to make things, which you would think weird because most of the recipes that I get for my cheese making is... Uh, in comes from books, and I have to read the recipe and understand it, and uh, and do that sort of thing. So anyway, I've been putting together a list. Uh, I won't share it here, but the list it does exist, <laughs> and it is getting longer and longer. So I'm just hoping that I'm around on the planet long enough to to make all these cheeses, and certainly won't be stopping anytime soon, uh, until of course YouTube isn't a thing anymore. Um, and then I'll just go and find some other medium to produce uh, my cheese-making videos on or publish them anyway. So that's what's been going on here. I've been uh, busily working out the list of cheeses in the order that I'm going to make them in the, over the next couple of months to uh, to get some content out there. Anyway, we've got some interesting news this week, so let's get on with that. Alrighty, this uh, news comes from the ABC, uh, which is the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, I think, here in Australia. So it's uh, very similar to PBS in the US, I think. Not so much that it's community supported. Our ABC here is very much like the BBC. It's supported by the government. So it's a government-run station. You would think it would be... Um, it would lean towards the political affiliation of the government in power, but it doesn't tend to. It's kind of centre. So um, anyway, so in describing the the content. So the news story for this week is 
Heritage Cows provide unique cheese and beef for niche market in Tasmania. And the reason this is so interesting, and it was, when was it posted? Uh, back in January 2018, is that the guy who set up the, uh, the Heritage Breeds is a guy called Nick Haddo. And uh, Nick Haddo, he is a, um, well, he's a cheesemaker and a beer maker now too. Uh, and he owns the company called uh, Bruni Island Cheesemaking Company in Bruni Island a Brewing. Brewing, not brewing, brewing. Um, so I'll continue on with the story, shall I? Um, after making cheese on Bruni Island in the early 2000s, one cheesemaker has taken the next step of establishing his own dairy farm using heritage breeds. Nick Haddo uses the herd to supply milk for cheesemaking and the farm will eventually provide beef for a niche market. He has selected three heritage breeds for his property, sorry, for his property at Glen Hewen. Uh, the Australian Dairy Shorthorn, the French Normandy and the Brown Swiss, one of the oldest dairy breeds in existence. Mr Haddo said the breeds were chosen for a number of qualities. All three of those breeds, they're not only cheesemaking breeds, they're rare breeds. Uh, they're all rare breeds and they also dual-purpose breeds. He said having his own dairy herd, the cheesery could concentrate on the provenance and quality of its product. It's about making great cheese and great cheese is cheese that reflects where it comes from, Mr Haddo said. Having that control over the provenance of the milk literally from the soil all the way up. Farm manager Richard Butler, who hails from North Devon in the United Kingdom, said the three breeds were pretty distinctive and easy to work with, especially as the milking load was not heavy. We're budgeting on five and a half thousand litres per cow per year, he said. Mr Butler also said managing a small herd was a bit of a luxury that required a change in skill set. It's down to two hundred sorry, it's down to hundred and twenty acres from two and a half thousand, he said. It's nice to be back with the cows and not managing paperwork and people so much. Already the farm at Glen Hewen is supplying all the milk to the Bruni Island operation. Within the next year, Mr Haddo said he hoped to have a new cheesery established on the Hewen Valley property. So that's very interesting. So instead of calling out to um, dairy producers, uh, Mr Haddo has uh, decided to get his own herds, um, obviously get somebody else to manage them, but uh, they're his property and, his, uh, sorry, his farm, but uh, they're milked by um, somebody else. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, the, I have tasted some of the cheese that Nick Haddo has produced from the Bruni Island Cheesemaking Co. And it is amazing. The raw milk cheeses that he produces down there are absolutely delightful. In fact, hopefully this podcast is not being released too late, but on the 5th of May, and uh, probably will be released a bit too late, there would be uh, the Mould Festival, or the Molder Cheese Festival has already taken place here in Melbourne. So um, if anybody wanted to pop around and have a look, then uh, you're probably too late. Uh, I went last year with Kim, and we found that uh, the lines were just so long, worse than Disneyland without the entertainers. And really, they needed to sort something out there. Hopefully, 
this year they've uh, taken all that into consideration, everybody's feedback, and they've got a better way of um, for people to taste all the different artisan cheeses um, in that uh, that venue that they had, which was the meat market in um, uh, North Melbourne. So anyway, best of luck to Mr Haddo on uh, his herd of sheep, sorry, herd of sheep, herd of cows and uh, all the lovely milk they'll be providing for his cheeses and he'll be able to make some very distinct and unique cheeses down there on Bruni Island in Tasmania. Okay, we've got uh, lots of questions, five this week. Um, so let's play the first one. This one's from Margaret. Hi, Gavin. I'm just trying to find out where I can get springs for um, my press, my cheese press, which is actually a fruit press, which is why I need to find some springs of different weights. Thanks very much. Okay, Margaret, I have answered this one personally uh, beforehand. However, you can pop over to littlegreenworkshops.com.au and go to the cheese category and then go to the cheese equipment and there we supply 50-pound springs, which is certainly enough pressure to press, say, a cheddar cheese or something like that. They're very reasonably costed at, oh, I can't remember the price, um, but anyway, it's, it's reasonable <laughs> off the top of my head. I can't remember the prices of everything. Anyway, so littlegreenworkshops.com.au and go to the cheese section there and you'll be able to pick up all your cheese-making supplies, equipment and uh, kits if you're so inclined. Okay, next question's from Robert. Hi, Gavin. My name is Robert Romney. I live in Costa Rica and I'm a beginning cheesemaker. I've been looking at your website and some others and I was wondering why when I'm finding three different or more processes for making cheddar cheese, uh, all the ingredients are exactly the same, but weights and waiting times and such are all different. Could you answer that for me? Sure, I can. Um, Robert, cheese making is uh, not unique. So when you make, a, when you follow a recipe, you're following the recipe as that cheesemaker intended for that style of cheese. Now, if a different cheesemaker gets hold of the recipe and wants to make some changes but wants to call it the same cheese, then they can do so. There's nothing stopping them, especially for cheddar cheese, uh, which is not AOC protected. So you will find multiple recipes for cheddar cheese and they'll all be fairly the same as far as end product goes. But if they're um, if they change too much from the basic product, then it's always good to try another recipe if you are going to make cheddar again. So try them out, um, see which one works for you, and then stick with it. Um, that's my advice to you. Okay, next questions from Kep. Oh, hello, Gavin. Um... Kep here, I wonder if you can just explain to me, how does cheese mature when you vacuum pack it? I don't really understand the process because all the air has been taken out and how does a cheese breathe and how does it mature uh, when you backpack it? Thanks. Good question, Kep. 
Um, what happens is the uh, the starter starter bacteria that you introduce into the milk do die off, and basically um, they turn into enzymes, and the enzymes then break down the fats and proteins within the cheese, and they don't need oxygen to do that. It just happens as a natural rotting process um, of the cheese. So remember that uh, the basis of all cheese making is the controlled rotting of milk. And that happens when the starter bacteria die and uh, they start to, the enzymes that are left behind, start to break down the fats and proteins of the, of the cheese solid. Um, so that's how cheese making kind of works. In a nutshell, very, very um, high level, but uh, that's how it works. And you don't need to have oxygen to do that. However, for some cheeses, you do need oxygen. And that is the white mould and blue mould cheeses. You absolutely need oxygen for those moulds to breed and multiply. So there, you shouldn't vacuum pack uh, blue cheeses or uh, white mould cheeses. They need a natural rind to form during the maturation process. Anyway, I hope that helps, Kep, me explaining that on a very high level. Okay, next question is from Jonathan. Hi, Gavin. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I live in Newport News, uh, Virginia, and uh, warm greetings from the United States. First off, uh, thanks for everything you do. Uh, I never realized uh, cheese making was so fascinating, and I really appreciate the uh, YouTube videos that you put out. Um, my question to you is... Uh, have you ever made Limburger cheese? I've uh, searched the uh, YouTube archives and I can't find that particular uh, one if you've made it. And furthermore, have you ever tried it? I haven't, and I just ordered it from uh, Amazon. And anyway, I think that would be fascinating to uh, see you do that if you were so inclined. Once again, keep up the good work. Thanks very much, Jonathan. Um, yes, Limburger is on the list of cheeses to make. It is one of the smellier cheeses. Um, and it tends to smell a lot like old socks uh, during the maturation period, and that's basically the Brevibacterium linens doing its funky thing. So, yeah, I will be um, posting a video on Limburger soon once I start making that cheese. I have tried it before. The smell is worse than the taste, if that makes sense. Uh, but, yeah, I've tried a Limburger-style cheese Certainly not one from the US where um, they originate from. Anyway, uh, thanks for your question, Jonathan. Um, and the lucky last question is from Tammy. Hi, Gavin. This is Tammy Waldrop, and I'm speaking from Houston, Texas. First, I want to echo what everyone else says, how much I appreciate your tutorials, your um, wit, and just making cheese making fun for all of us in layman's terms that we can understand. My question is about a ripening box. I invested in a small wine fridge that holds, oh, about five or six bottles of wine, and so it's very small, and I, I can get maybe, I don't know how many cheeses in there, five, six, seven, eight small cheeses, and I was wondering, do I really need to have a ripening box in that small of a fridge? I do put a pan of water at the bottom and a wet sponge, a damp sponge. I, I do have one of those little meters that measures the humidity, but I'm never able to get it up to what it says it needs to be. 
And seems really odd, doesn't it, since I live in ground zero for humidity in Houston, Texas. But that's my question. Do I need a ripening box within that small of an enclosure? And is there any other way than what I've mentioned to raise the humidity? Thanks again, Gavin. No problems, Tammy. Appreciate the question. Uh, in answer to that, you in a small fridge, you tend to need a ripening box because it's very difficult to raise the humidity of the overall fridge itself. Even with my cheese fridge, where I've got one of those open freezer compartments in it, which when the cheese, uh, sorry, when the fridge turns on, it freezes. When it turns off, it goes, it, it the water comes back and there creates a lot of moisture. I can only get the humidity up to about 70% relative humidity in the cheese fridge, which is not high enough for most cheeses to ripen in. Having said that, you can buy humidifiers that just spray mist into the fridge. Probably better if you had a larger fridge uh, to do that, and that would bring the humidity right up as well. But in lieu of those two suggestions, then a ripening box is a good way to go about it. You can usually increase the humidity to about 90% relative humidity. And I find that if you're making natural rind or bloomy rind cheeses, it keeps the moisture in the cheese, well, around the cheese, uh, as long as you're turning them once a week so you can get fresh oxygen in there for the cheese, which uh, unfortunately they need for those mould ripened cheeses, as we had um, the question uh, from Kep earlier on. So that's kind of what I recommend. You can go the whole hog and make a cheese maturation room and keep the humidity up by misting in it. Um, but you'll find by having uh, the humidity that high, you do have to clean the cheese cave a lot more often uh, because moulds love moisture and uh, they will grow in the cracks and crevices that uh, naturally occur in those sorts of environments. Anyway, thanks for your question, Tammy. Hopefully I've answered it for you. Well, that's all we got for this week. Uh, thanks very much again for listening to the podcast. Uh, don't forget that you can subscribe to the podcast via whatever application you're using or app you're using on your phone to listen to it or on your computer. Uh, there are some means and mechanisms, whether it be iTunes or Overcast or whatever podcast player you're using, you can usually subscribe to the uh, podcast. So every time I release a fresh episode, uh, it will pop up in your player and you'll be able to listen to it. Also, don't forget that on YouTube, cheeseman.tv, where it will take you off to my YouTube channel, you can also subscribe over there and get notified via your web browser or via the YouTube app on your phone uh, every time I release a fresh video as well. So don't forget to do that. We're very close to 100,000 um, subscribers on the YouTube channel, which I'm very excited about because then YouTube sends through a silver play button um, after I've applied for it, of course, um, which I'll show on the channel once I get it. Anyway, uh, that's the end of the show. For upcoming cheesemaking workshop dates and recipes, you can find them over at littlegreencheese.com. You can also find my cheesemaking book, Keep Calm and Make Cheese, The Beginner's Guide to Cheesemaking at Home, which is available in all good ebook formats. 
You can also find a link to my YouTube videos uh, over on that or go to cheeseman.tv. You can buy kits, supplies and equipment over at littlegreenworkshops.com.au. Just pop into the cheese section there. Thanks for listening, Curd Nerds, and stay tuned for the next episode of the Little Green Cheese Podcast. During this podcast, you heard royalty-free music by Kevin McLeod. I played Malt Shop Bop, News Theme, and Call to the Dairy Cows. Bye.